My message this morning is titled, The Making of a Great Nation, the Nation of Israel. Scripture comes from Genesis chapter 45, verses 25 through 28 and 46, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And then picking up in chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts with Pharaoh, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his son, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you that we know, Father, that you are always in control of all things, that you are God, that you are the great I Am. Father, we thank you for the building of the nation of Israel. Father, we thank you that throughout this entire journey that we've been learning about with Joseph and his family, that you were in control, that you were building this great nation. And Father, we thank you that it's through the nation of Israel that our Savior has come. Father, we thank you for your your righteousness which you've brought to us through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your spirit that is with us today. May your spirit be upon us. May your spirit guide us and direct us, Father. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today, Father. And as Karen said, may your word go forth and produce fruit, Father. May it produce fruit for your kingdom. And Father, we just give you praise and the glory and honor. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, I was thinking about ending our series in Genesis last week with last week's message. The message where Joseph was reunited with his brothers and he revealed to his brothers who he was. Uh, of course, you know, they were fearful at first and he says, don't be afraid, come near. And so, you know, he hugged on his brothers. But, but my wife shared with me, she's like, they want to hear Joseph being reunited with his father. You know, it's an amazing story. It is. It's kind of like you, you're picturing this drama in your mind. And Jacob was finally reunited with his lost son, his son that he thought was dead. We're going to get to that part. So I just want to pick up a little bit right where I left off last week. So Joseph and all 11 brothers 
They're together. They have that dinner, as you remember. And the next day, he's going to send them on their way, send them back to the land of Canaan. And he says, I want you to go get my father. I want you to bring him down. But you know, on this journey, this last journey back to the land of Canaan, the 11 brothers, was not like the previous journey. If you remember the previous journey, they stopped at the encampment and they found their silver in their sacks. So as they journeyed on home, they are very concerned that the next time they go back that they're going to be thought of as thieves because they had their money. And they had the concern of their brother that they had to leave behind. Remember they left Simeon behind in jail while they was going to retrieve their brother to bring him back. So they had that fear, Are they going to let, is he going to let our brother come with us that we can get more food the next time? This journey's not like that. They have joy in their hearts this time as they journey back to the land of Canaan because they get to go back and share with their father, your son Joseph is alive. But remember this, they would also have to share with their father what they had done in the past. The lies that they had told him that their son was dead when they knew very well that they're the ones that sold him. So they had to reveal that also. But they tell his father, your son Joseph is alive. Have you ever heard the old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is? Well, this actually sounded too good to be true. He didn't believe it. At first, he did not believe his son's report. The passage said that his heart stood still because he did not believe them. Now, I know that if I asked you to share, you could probably share a time when you felt that your heart stood still. You know, I've had a few of those occasions where your heart stood still. You know, I was driving down Virginia Avenue one day, and actually it was right there about where the railroad was. And I don't know, I was trying to think the other day, if I was in my 20s or 30s, as I'm traveling down through there in the pickup truck, a young boy darted out from between two parked vehicles, and man, I slammed on the brakes of that truck, and I, I barely got stopped without hitting that little boy. And it, it, just to think about it today, my heart, I believe, stood still that day. Because, oh, you know, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, that I got stopped. Because it, it, I would have had to live with that my entire life, knowing that I injured or possibly even killed that little boy. A time about a year ago, I think my heart stood still when I knocked on mom's door and there's no answer. I opened the door and I could see that she was laying on the floor. We all could probably share those moments. We get bad news. Something's happened. A loved one has died or an illness. And we feel our hearts stand still. Jacob, his heart stood still. I think he wanted to believe. But he had for so long mourned the loss of his son. So long thought that he was killed by some wild beast because he saw the blood on that coat of many colors. Surely my son is dead. You know, most commentators believe that Jacob did have some suspicions about his other sons. Because of their activities. They were questionable. But the scripture said, when he 
heard all the words which Joseph said to them. And when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent, it says that he then believed and the spirit of Jacob was revived. There are many different descriptions of the statement that that Jacob's spirit was revived. Such as, he was restored to fresh vigor. He had his vigor back. He gained new life. He lived. One says, now this is Karen kind of already was getting into this. He's talking about them bellows. One says that his spirit, that his revived spirit was like the blowing and stirring up of almost extinguished embers that had been buried under the ashes. I especially like that description. His hope had almost extinguished, almost gone out. There was just a little ember buried under those ashes. A little glowing ember of hope. But that bellows, if you will, that wind reignited. That news reignited, revived his spirit. I have hope. My son is alive. He believed. You know, there are so many modern day examples, stories of families reunited. Children reunited with their parents or siblings reunited. I found one such example, and this is actually siblings being reunited. A few years back, a 79-year-old woman named Irene Atkins, she opened her front door one afternoon to see the face of a man that she had never met before. But he told her that I am your brother. His name was Terry Spriggs. Irene had been abandoned by her family in 1932 when she was just 10 months old. She was rehomed by British charity Barnados and placed with a foster family. She was later told by her parents that she was fostered, that they were not her true father and mother. But she was never told that she had any brothers or sisters. So after her parents had banded her a few years later, they had three other children, and they actually raised those children. So Terry, among them, later on he was told that he had a sister named Irene. So with the help of his niece, Sylvia Waters, and she did some searching through Barnado's archives, and finally brought that information to her uncle Terry, and shared it with him, and he was finally able to track down where they thought Irene lived. But he had no way of knowing for sure that he was at the right door when he knocked on that door. He's at the right place. He had no way of knowing what kind of reception that he would receive when he knocked on that door of someone he never saw before, but hoped to be his sister. Well, they were completely overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed when he saw Irene for the first time and revealed to her who he was. And Irene said that for years she thought she had other family. You know, she didn't know that she had brothers or sisters, but back then they didn't have computers and all these resources to try to find lost family members. But both of them were overwhelmed with a joy finding each other and sitting down and talking with one another and sharing and catching up on their families and 
the things that they had in common. A great reunion between Terry and his sister Irene. What a surprise it must have been to open that door and find that you had brothers and sisters that you never knew about and you're 79 years old. What a joy it must have been for Jacob to hear that news that his son is alive. What a joy it must have been to be reunited with that son that you thought was dead. Genesis 46, 28-30 shares this sweet reunion. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen. Goshen, I believe is the way it's properly said. To meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Can you imagine the emotion going through their hearts? He wept for a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. You know, it may seem that Jacob is a little obsessed with death. The thought of death. You know, when his sons told him, he's now I can die because my son is alive. Now he says, because you are alive. Now let me, let me die because I've seen. You know, I do not believe that he's actually obsessed with death. But I believe that he now is saying, I can die with peace. I can die with joy in my heart because I know that my son is alive. I know that my son wasn't mauled by some beast. I have seen my son that I've longed for, that I've loved. So now I can die in peace. He would not die for another 17 years. He had 17 years in Egypt to get reacquainted with his son Joseph. 17 years to get to know Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Joseph's wife. 17 years to enjoy all of his family. This meeting was a sweet reunion indeed. It provides for a happy ending of Jacob's life. A happy ending to Joseph's amazing journey from shepherd boy to slave to prisoner to second in command in Egypt. It provides for a happy ending here in the book of Genesis, doesn't it? But I want to look at another part of today's scripture. I want to look at the journey of Jacob down to Egypt. The journey down of his entire family. It says they had traveled to Beersheba it would have taken them about a week to travel to Beersheba. It was the southernmost town in the region, that region, or in Canaan. And it was a special place for Jacob. It was there that Abraham dug a well. It was there that Abraham lived after offering Isaac up on Mount Moriah. Jacob's father Isaac also lived in Beersheba. It was from there that he would leave to travel to Haran to find a wife for himself. Genesis 28.10 says, Now Jacob went out of Beersheba and went to Haran. He went to Laban's family. That's where he met Rachel, his wife, and Leah, his wife. It was at Beersheba that God appeared to Hagar, to Isaac, to Jacob. It was a very important place for this family. Jacob took all that he had with him to Egypt. All of his sons, all, of his, all their wives, all their grandchildren, all of their livestock, 
all of the goods that they had acquired in Canaan. They took it all with them when they traveled to Egypt. Quite a caravan, wouldn't it have been? Actually, in the book of Acts, Stephen's brief synopsis of Joseph's story gives us an accurate number of how many people actually traveled down to Egypt. Now, Acts chapter 7, verses 9 through 16, Stephen's synopsis here, he gives really an entire account of this entire story that I spent weeks on. I could have read this, right, and been done. <laughs> no. Acts 7, verse 9 through 16. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, and his, he and her fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in, a, laid in a tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Seventy-five people. My friends, Jacob's stop in Beersheba was more than a stop for rest. It was more than a stop down memory lane because it was his home place. Jacob was there at that place to communicate with God, as many of his ancestors did, to ask God, should I go down to Egypt? Should I go down? To which God replied, I am God. Fast forward over 400 years later, God would call Moses to go bring the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, who shall I say sent me? Tell him I am. Tell him I am has sent you. He tells Jacob, I am God. And you better believe that Jacob shared that with his family. So they knew all those years who God was. He was I am. I am God. The God of your fathers. And he said, do not fear to go down to Egypt. For I will make you a great nation there. It is there that I'm going to make you into a great nation. But also, he says, I will go down with you. What a promise. What a promise. God reaffirmed to Jacob the promise that he had made to his ancestors, that I will make you a great nation, but also that I will be engaged with you. I will be engaged within your life. I will go down with you. How reassuring that God, the God that created all things, was going with them. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. My friends, Jesus also gave the disciples an assurance that He was with them, and He will be with us. In Matthew 28.18-20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. So there's a message to go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded, that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. My friends, Jesus says, I am with you always. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You may run from Him. You may turn from Him. But as that song said, we turn and run back. He will run towards us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. That is a promise from God. A promise from Jesus Christ, our Lord. That promise is found in multiple books in the Old and New Testaments. We can be assured that He is always with us. That we can always repent and return to God if we've turned our back on Him. Now I know if everyone would be completely honest with themselves... You would probably have to admit that there's probably been an occasion or two where you've questioned God. With questions like, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why did God not intervene in this or that situation? Why did God do this or why did God do that? And you know, I'm going to say it's not wrong to question God. But it is absolutely wrong to accuse God of wrongdoing. It is wrong to accuse God of doing wrong because God does not do wrong. So this week, early this week, as I was reading this and finishing out the book of Genesis and reading, reading this entire story of Joseph and pondering it in my heart, the story of Joseph, his brothers, his father, this entire family, the thought or the question entered my mind, did God cause the famine in the first place? Did God cause the famine that would cause the family to have to travel down to Egypt. So remember, did God not forewarn Pharaoh? Didn't Pharaoh have that dream? The dream of the seven nice plump cows and then the sickly cows? And Joseph, that's how he got out of prison, remember? Called him out of prison and Joseph revealed to him in the dream that there's going to be seven years of plentiful followed by seven years of famine. And we know that God gave him the interpretation. God gave Pharaoh the dream, right? So did God cause the famine? Or did the devil cause the famine? Well, the answer that I wrestled around with and came up with is, and it might not be right. I might not be right. But I do not believe that God caused the famine. He used it, yes, but I do not believe He caused it. I truly believe that the famine in Joseph's day, just like many of the natural disasters that we have seen in our lifetimes, like the earthquakes, like the tsunamis, like the hurricanes, like the fires, like the viruses, like the famines of today, I believe they are caused by the effect of the curse that was applied to creation. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, and this is a New Living Translation. It says, yet, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for the future day 
when God will reveal who His children really are. Listen, against its will, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. So when you look out, all of creation was subjected to the curse that God placed upon it and man. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Ladies, how would childbirth experience be without any medication? Painful. Probably groaning and moaning and screaming and crying out in pain and back and forth. My friends, that's an example of what the earth is doing. It's moaning, it's groaning, it's, it's blowing the winds of the tornado, tornadoes and hurricanes. Hornadoes, that's a hurricane and tornado combination right now. Anyway, yeah, i got my words mixed up there. That's what creation's doing. And I believe the famine was caused by that. And friends, God knows all things, does He not? He knows the beginning from the end. So yes, He knew that there was going to be a famine. He knows if there's going to be a famine X a number of years from today. He knows it. He knows the future. He knew that that famine was going to happen. And He did intervene. In His mercy, He forewarned Pharaoh that it was going to happen. In His mercy, He prepared Joseph to lead and store up for those seven good years. In His mercy, He did intervene to save not only the nation of Israel, but even the Egyptian people. God could have stopped it. But yes, He allowed it to happen. He doesn't always intervene and stop things, but He can use them for His glory, for His honor. We may not always understand. We don't always understand because we don't have the mind of God, do we? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And also in Isaiah 40, chapter, 20, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. His ways are past understanding, but let's wait on the Lord. God used their time in Egypt to mold and shape the nation of Israel into a strong people. It was there that He multiplied them greatly. Exodus 1 verse 7 says, But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mightily, and the land was filled with them. 
The land of Egypt was filled with them. We've already established from Acts, 75 people went down to Egypt when Jacob moved his family there. Now there's many different estimates as to how many came out 400 and I think 30 years later. But Exodus 12, 37 and 38 gives us a pretty good idea because this was recorded shortly after the Exodus. It says, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. So that did not count women and children. 600,000 men went up with them out of Egypt. 75 went in. God made them a great nation, multiplied them greatly that they filled the land. I want to end by returning to the scripture where I began, where Jacob's sons returned and told him about Joseph being alive. Remember at first he didn't believe, did not believe what they told him. But when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent, you know, you know what the scales look like? The scales that hang from the chain and you got the little plate that hangs there and it balances back and forth. So unbelief was down here. It's kind of winning out. That's the scale of unbelief was winning. It was heavier, greater than his belief. But when he looked and saw those carts, the scales tipped the other way and he believed. It's like he saw that physical evidence and he believed that his son was alive. My friends, in the New Testament, Jesus appeared to the disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. And when the other disciples told him, Jesus is alive. We saw him. He's alive. He says, unless I see him myself, unless I touch his hands, I will not believe. Well, in John, in John chapter 20, verse 29... Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And in John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. My friends, blessed are those who have not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see the similarities in Joseph and Jesus? Joseph was rejected by his own. Rejected by his own brothers. Sold into slavery. Falsely accused but yet was sent forth to save the nation. Jesus was rejected by His own. They received Him not. Was falsely accused. He did suffer and die upon that cross and rose again. Blessed are those who believe. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet believe that He is the Son of God, that He is alive, that He has died for my sins and your sins. 
And He is making a great nation of people. Those that believe in Him. There is another great nation. And it's those that are called the sons of God. The sons and daughters of the living God. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are part of that great nation. If you're hearing this Word, and you haven't believed on Jesus Christ, turn, run towards Him, or walk, or crawl, however you can get to Him. But please turn to Him. Repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ. And He is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins. And write your name in that Lamb's book of life. Amen?